Okay, good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. And if you're listening, you're here for our New Jersey webinar series, uh, May program, which is which defense applies. And today I'm going to be talking about most of the common defenses, both substantive and fact defenses, which are raised in a New Jersey workers' compensation case. Now, last month we covered the defense of not my employee or non-employment. We covered independent contractors and those who are not truly employed by the employer, including leased employees, et cetera, to talk about the defenses you raise when you believe the petitioner is not in the employment of the respondent or insured. Next month, we're gonna talk about the going and coming defense, which is a huge defense and one of the most frequently invoked defenses. And for that reason, we're gonna do our entire webinar just on that one defense. Today, I'm gonna to cover sort of all the other uh, substantive and legal defenses and the common ones that we raise. For example, the defense that there was no accident, that we were not given proper notice, that the statute of limitations expired, that the petitioner intentionally harmed themselves, uh, that the injury was caused by a recreational or purely social activity, uh, that the injury was purely personal and arose from a personal risk, and of course, lunchtime injuries. So we're gonna cover a lot of the commonly invoked defenses and defenses that are uh, invoked because the uh, uh, petitioner uh, is in our employment, but there is some reason for us to be disputing the claim. All right, uh, first, let's talk about the no accident defense. This is one of the more common defenses that we see. And these are defenses in which the employer is coming forward to us and saying essentially, uh, hey, there was an unwitnessed loss. Uh, we don't believe the accident took place. Uh, the witnesses that were there that day said there was no loss. So we're basically saying, hey, there was no actual injury arising out of the course of the employment. Um, in these injuries or these types of claims, we're gonna be filing typically a denial type pleading, and we're gonna be taught saying, hey judge, it's up to them to prove their case. So we're gonna shift the burden to the claimant to demonstrate that there was an accident occurring during the course of employment. We also typically raise this defense in the occupational exposure claims, and those would be claims for respiratory injury, uh, injuries for uh, exposures to specific um, irritants in the workplace, repetitive motion claims. Uh, generally speaking, in these types of cases, we're seeing that there's some red flags present. Uh, the types of um, red flags we see all the time are things like the petitioner asked for time off and that was denied and then all of a sudden they have an unwitnessed loss. Or the petitioner um, has been employed for a short period of time and uh, immediately reported an injury that no one observed. Uh, for occupational exposure claims, because the burden is on the petitioner to show a causal connection, unless there's a clear causally connected injury, typically those are disputed uh, while we get forensic or medical proofs to dispute the compensability of the claim. And remember, not every condition is compensable. And for example, uh, heart attack, cardiac ischemic event type injury claims, uh, the burden is on the petitioner to show that there was something extraordinary in the workday that caused that loss, that they were doing something that exceeds the normal burdens that they had in their activities of daily living. Um, so the no accident defense is a powerful defense and used frequently. Let's talk about a typical or a common situation we see. Uh, and this is gonna, we're gonna talk about the notice defense now. So here's uh, the type of fact pattern that usually arises in that circumstance. Hey, Greg. One of our employees brought in this medical note, saying that he was injured at work four months ago. I asked around, 
and no one who was working that day remembers anyone being injured, and no written report was made by the employee or anyone else, can they file a workers' compensation claim? Okay, so here's an interesting uh, set of facts. Uh, the employer has contacted me and said, hey, Greg, I got this employee he brought in a medical note and saying that uh, my employee was injured at work and he says it happened four months ago. And now he's probably saying I need time off or I, I need to pursue medical treatment. Uh, the employer looks around the workplace, says, hey, nobody uh, was told about this. There was no written report made by the employee. And he's asking me, Greg, can they really file a workers' claim, compensation claim against me? Well, the answer is yes, they can file a workers' compensation claim, but we'll be able to dispute it, uh, arguing that the petitioner failed to provide us proper notice, which is required by the statute. We'll be able to argue that they failed to uh, report the injury within the time allowed by the statute, and we are now prejudiced because we do not have the opportunity to investigate all the circumstances and facts surrounding that claim. So in this case, I do think we would raise the notice defense. Uh, we would file a denial type uh, pleading, checking no in box four, essentially saying we're putting the petitioner to their proofs in this respect. And then we would raise notice as an affirmative defense uh, in the claim petition answer. All right, another uh, typical question I get from employers is questions about whether intoxication uh, is a defense to workers' compensation claims. Well, the answer is it is, and our statute, uh, section seven of our statute actually says that if the intoxication was the sole cause of the loss, the petitioner's injuries are not compensable. However, the courts have basically destroyed this as a defense in New Jersey. Uh, the burden is on the employer essentially to show that it was only the intoxication because the petitioner just comes forward in court and says, yeah, I was extremely drunk and I did cause the accident that then led to my injuries. However, I was also tired uh, because I'd had a long weekend. I have a sick baby at home and I was up all weekend. So I was very tired and drunk and it was the tiredness and the drunkenness uh, that caused the loss uh, or contributed to the accident which led to my injury and loss. Now that may sound crazy, an out of work situation or just tiredness or basically anything uh, being used to supplement the intoxication and then getting around uh, the statutory uh, abrogation against compensating intoxicated employees. However, that is how it works in New Jersey. Uh, there are many cases uh, examining the intoxication defense and essentially what I counsel clients is that as a defense, it is almost never going to work. However, we will raise the intoxication defense typically and, and specifically where there are very, uh, uh, there's a good fact dispute in the case. For example, uh, where the uh, petitioner's blood alcohol level is quite high, and that will lead us maybe to a setup for a Section 20 lump sum dismissal. Uh, typically, these cases are complicated by the fact that the employer, most employers, I know I certainly do, have a policy that says you cannot be intoxicated at work. So typically this employee gets separated for violating the work alcohol policy. We are seeing more and more cases involving not just alcohol intoxication, but also drugs and a lot now of marijuana. Uh, unfortunately, there are really no good standards for what is marijuana intoxicated uh, or uh, cannabis or cannabinoid intoxication. Um, there is some literature that discusses how many parts uh, per picoliter, and we're talking about millions of parts per picoliter of blood, uh, would be marijuana intoxicated, but really there's no good standards. So it's a difficult defense to raise and a difficult defense to prove, and in my experience, it is very rarely successful. 
All right. A much stronger defense is the statute of limitations in New Jersey. In New Jersey, the petitioner has two years to file from when they knew or should have known uh, of their accident and loss. And in occupational claims, it's two years from when they knew or should have known and condition manifests itself. Uh, in that circumstances, uh, generally speaking, in occupational, the statute of limitations is not really observed. Really, the petitioner can come into court and said, I worked 10 years ago in this plant. Now I have this latent uh, but now manifesting respiratory condition, I believe it was a result of that work in the plant. And again, that could be 10 or 15 years prior. Um, statute of limitations in a specific accident case, uh, we're talking about the typical arm, finger, uh, knee, foot, uh, specific accident claim. And then a late filing are very defensible if the statute of limitations has not been observed. New Jersey also holds out self-harm and we can raise self-harm as a defense to a case now intentional self-harm is things like suicide uh, we're really talking about an employee who's intending to harm themselves uh, we have expanded that definition and tried to include things like disobedience that would be things like removal of safety equipment or devices uh, things like um, not observing um, prohibitions in the workplace. So if we have an area of our plant that we tell our employees, this is in a dangerous area of the plant, don't go over there, and they do go over there, uh, generally speaking, we're going to argue, hey, that they intentionally harmed themselves. They did something disobediently. They did something that got them into this situation, Judge, but guess what? It's not going to work. Um, more commonly is fights and horseplay in the workplace. We're talking about employees who instigate fights. Uh, if they are simply the victim of horseplay in the workplace or they're a victim of someone attacking or assaulting them, a colleague, a co-worker assaulting them, uh, that will generally be found compensable. All right, let's move on to the defense of recreational injury. Here's some attention questions. staff. The company picnic is tomorrow and I expect all of you to be there and play on our soccer team. My goal is to win the company trophy. Boss, my daughter's recital is tomorrow. I can't make the picnic. The memo said the picnic was optional anyway. Winning is not optional to me. I expect you to play or I will remember it at review time. Okay, remember, I expect us to win. All right, uh, here's a pretty exaggerated set of facts, but in this set of facts, the boss is saying to everybody, hey guys, uh, uh, we've got this recreational event. It's it's not really voluntary. It's really mandatory. And he's even saying to them, I expect you to play or I will remember it at review time. And of course, the employee who didn't really want to be there, she'd much rather be at her daughter's recital, uh, is struck by a ball and injured. All right. Uh, generally speaking, recreational injuries are not compensable uh, where they are the result of a purely voluntary uh, and completely uh, recreational or social activity. Uh, however, the employer can transform something that is purely recreational and social into something mandatory by saying things like, I expect you to be there. You have to be there. I'm going to remember it if you're not there. In other words, you know, uh, more than just encouraging the employees to participate, but sort of threatening them or letting them know that there will be employment repercussions if they do not participate. Even where the recreational event has nothing to do with the employment, think of things like tug of war or go-kart races or something like that that really has absolutely nothing to do with the employer's business, all of those injuries will be held compensable where the employer makes it mandatory. Now, 
it does not include things like employer sponsoring events. So uh, if I have a bowling event for my employees and it's purely voluntary, and yes, I did pay to rent the lanes and if we offered some pizza and some adult beverages as well, that doesn't transform it into a mandatory requirement of the employment. Um, so employers can still do things like uh, sponsor the softball team or buy the uniforms and, and right up until they tell people you have to be on the, uh, the softball team or else, uh, that would be um, found to not be compensable. So again, those come down to the facts and how the employer is characterizing that. All right, what about personal injuries? And you know, there are things, uh, there is such a thing as an idiopathic loss. In other words, something that is purely uh, personal to the employee or congenital. These are things like uh, aneurysms or ischemic events that occur at the workplace that have maybe nothing to do with the workplace. They were just as likely to happen outside of work as inside of work. A great example of that is an epileptic seizure or maybe diabetic shock if there was no precipitating event in the workplace. More interestingly is uh, things like assaults at work. In New Jersey, assaults at work, if they arise out of the employment, will be compensable. So a great example of that uh, is gas station attendants. In New Jersey, we have gas station attendants who pump your gas for you. They are frequently robbed. Uh, they are assaulted just because they have cash on them, um, not because of anything personal. Uh, and for that reason, the assault on the gas station attendant or more typically a retail worker uh, who is robbed or assaulted during the course of their employment, those uh, risks would be found to be compensable. Not compensable would be purely personal assaults. For example, your employee is a gang member and a rival gang attacks them and they just happen to attack them or gun them down while they're working. That would not be compensable because it arose out of a purely personal situation or condition. All right, let's look at a set of facts that uh, examines this more closely. Hey, I know you are the one who has been sleeping with my wife. Prepare to die. I have no idea what you are talking about. I am not sleeping with your wife, I saw her phone. You have been awling her all the time. Admit you are having an affair. Jerry, don't shoot him. All those phone calls were about work. We are not sleeping together. You are being crazy. Bam. All right, so Jerry's crazy. He sees a number of phone calls or texts to his wife from a coworker or colleague. He jumps to the conclusion that they're having an affair, goes to the employment, and harms the alleged uh, perpetrator of the affair with his wife. Now, the wife denies it and says, nope, all those phone calls and uh, text messages, those have been concerning my employment. And we can imagine many circumstances that would be necessary. For example, maybe they're organizing shifts uh, or a manager discussing work outside of regular work hours. The, uh, in, the husband, enraged, comes to the workplace and harms the colleague. So in this case, uh, the colleague, and, and, and let's also presume that there was no personal uh, relationship between the wife uh, of the perpetrator and the uh, colleague. In, these, in this case, we're really looking at what is the personal risk here versus the risk of the employment. In this case, there was no personal relationship between the two colleagues. It was purely work. The husband came to the office or to the workplace and harmed uh, the colleague, uh, made that a risk of the employment. Um, and that would be compensable. Uh, now, interestingly, 
uh, if he uh, harmed somebody else who had nothing to do, or, or, or if there was a relationship between the two colleagues, then that would transform it into something purely personal and non-compensable. So just sort of an interesting um, set of facts that would turn on exactly what the relationship was between the parties, which would need to be investigated. All right, another question I get all the time is questions about whether injuries that occur during lunch or on breaks are compensable. And the first thing we ask is, hey, was it paid or unpaid? Generally speaking, if it's paid, uh, it's gonna be compensable. We also ask uh, employers, is it on or off premises? Where the injury occurs on premises, it's generally gonna be compensable, uh, uh, if, and particularly if it's paid. If it's off premises and on a break or a lunch, uh, generally speaking, we're gonna deny the case and say that it is not compensable. Let's look at an interesting set of facts uh, that arose in New Jersey. In fact, this is one of my favorite cases. Uh, this case involves a lady named Barbara, uh, Judy Coleman. And this is a real story. So Judy liked to have lunch in the lunchroom. Um, everybody knew that she was uh, there. And at lunchtime, uh, she would also like to put her hairspray. This is a case that occurred in the 80s and people still had hairspray in the 80s, I guess. So she was spraying her hair. And the other thing she liked to do at lunchtime was smoke cigarettes. So the hairspray, the cigarettes, she caught her own head on fire and was quite injured. Um, in fact, uh, she was injured both from burns, from her hair being on fire, and also from her colleagues attempting to put out the fire uh, by uh, hitting her head and trying to bat down the flames. Uh, she did file a workers' compensation claim against her employer, Cycle Transformer Corporation, stating that, hey, I was on premises. It was, it was my lunch break, but having lunch on premises uh, absolutely uh, inures to the benefit of my employer because, hey, that they don't, I'm there if they need me and I could come back to work and I don't leave the premises and it's really great for them. Ha ha. Uh, Supreme Court of New Jersey disagreed and said, you know what? No, it's a lunchtime injury. Uh, you were doing something purely personal and certainly nothing the employer encouraged you to do. You should not have been spraying your hair with uh, chemicals and lighting cigarettes at the same time. That's dangerous. Uh, that is absolutely not compensable. So still one of my favorite cases. All right, that brings us to a conclusion of our overview of the basic defenses in New Jersey workers' compensation. Next month, we're going to talk about uh, the last defense that we're going to discuss in our webinar series, and that's the going and coming defense in New Jersey. And this is really going to be talking about off-premises injuries occurring to employees and when they are compensable. Thanks for joining. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you have any questions about this webinar or any of the topics we discussed, please feel free to call me or email me. Have a great day.